this uh, series today on the work of the Holy Spirit, and uh, I got a half an hour, and I'm going to put it in a half an hour. And you know, and sometimes let me just take. 30 seconds and explain because sometimes people go oh come on preacher if you just take all the time you need look we got people back there serving our babies and serving our little ones and i'm gonna i'm gonna honor them that 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 that's why i try to stop it at 12 30 each uh, each each week but uh this unity the forgotten imperative of Christianity and not only forgotten I think many times ignored intentionally imperative now you know what imperative means it means you got to do it it's absolutely essential stand with me let's read a, a brief passage from John 17 and Ephesians 4 my prayer is not for them alone I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And from Ephesians, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all father i thank you for your word and thank you for the presence and the power of the holy spirit i pray that you would quicken each heart that you would make us aware and alive and help us to be obedient to your word in Jesus name amen you may be seated on the night that that Jesus was betrayed he prayed a very important prayer this is really the Lord's prayer uh, some people call it Jesus high priestly prayer uh, what we tend to refer to as the Lord's prayer the our father is really the disciples prayer it's what he taught us to pray this is this is the prayer that that he prayed on the night that he was betrayed and in praying for the work that would be left behind for what was going to happen once he was gone, his primary request in this prayer was for unity. Now, he also prayed that we would be sanctified, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. But he prayed at least four times in this prayer for unity. We read three of them here. Uh, when he prayed for our protection, he said, protect them uh, from the evil one so that they may be one just as we are one so he was he was he was praying for unity there unity listen to me is a more powerful revelation of God than miracles the most explosive growth that the church experienced we tend to think of it as being oh well the book of Acts obviously that was that was uh 
right after Jesus left, and yeah, the, God was adding to the church daily, those who were being saved, and, and, uh, and the church just exploded. Well, yeah, it, it exploded, but really when you think of the population of the world and you think of how big the church got in the book of Acts, it was really a little bit more like a firecracker than it was like a nuclear weapon. I mean, seriously. You know, it's a lot easier to, uh, to say, well, we increased 100% when you start out with 10 than when you got 10 million to increase 100%. But, yeah, it was a period of growth. But the real period of growth in the church came during the 2nd and 3rd centuries when we don't read about there being a lot of miracles. Now, I'm not dissing miracles. Miracles are important and miracles happen. But miracles don't cause the church to grow. Unity does. And really, that growth didn't really start to slow down until... The third century, when Constantine came along and politics got involved, imagine that, and then it all kind of began to settle in, if you will. Uh, one of the things that Jesse will find out, if he doesn't know it already, is that when you go to Africa, you can preach and people get saved. You know, here, I can preach a powerful, wonderful Relevatory, anointed sermon, just dripping with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And then I can say, and who wants to get saved? Nobody comes. And I know that it's powerful because my wife tells me it is. And I know that it's anointed because I get emotional sometimes. Nobody comes. You go into a lot of third world places, though, and you, do, and you just say, who wants to get saved today? Whew, here they come. What, what's up with that? I'll tell you what's up with that. In those countries, now, I'm not saying there aren't any divisions, but by and large, in those countries, the church is united. Everybody's just there. I mean... Pentecostals and Baptists and Church of Christ and Mennonites and all these people, they're just there and they're just, they're just trying to proclaim the kingdom. And where there's unity, the church grows. Imagine that. Things, things happen. <laughs> uh, that's why when it came to crunch time, Jesus didn't pray for us to have the power to do miracles. Now, I believe in miracles Miracles are one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God heals. God performs miracles. But that wasn't what, when it came to crunch time, Jesus said, make them one. Make, make them unified. Let them walk in unity. Jesus prayed for unity because, a number of reasons. One of the reasons is because unity is the nature of the Trinity. Unity is what God lives in. Jesus said over in John 10, the Father and I are one. And, and he, didn't, he didn't mean that in a, in a, um, in a blatantly literal way. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't saying there's no such thing as a trinity. I mean, Margaret and I are one, but we're two people. I mean, she can be somewhere and I can be somewhere else, but we're one. What he meant when he said that the Father and I was one, were, he was simply elaborating on other things that he said. In, uh, in John chapter 14, he said, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The reason Jesus went to the cross, he loves us 
But that's not why he went to the cross. He went to the cross because his father told him to. And he did everything the father said. In fact, that was the context of, of that passage there. Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but the world must learn that I love the father and I do exactly what he has commanded me to do. Jesus said in, in John 5, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Complete unity. And the spirit's involved in that as well. Uh, not as many specific verses directed to it, but virtually everywhere, even in the beginning in creation, when, it, when you see God working, you see the Spirit in cooperation with what the Father is doing. And Jesus said about the Spirit over in John 16, He said, He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears when He comes, just like, just like the Son did. Because Jesus also had told, had told the Jews earlier on, He said, I, I don't speak on my own accord, but... The Father who sent me commanded me what to say, and I say it. So unity is what the, is the nature of God. And my question is, how can we reveal this God of unity by being disunified? Now, I'm not talking about everybody going to the same church. I mean, God's got that covered, and it doesn't bother God that, uh, you know, that some people party when they come to church, and, 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 and some people dial it down when they come to church and you know it doesn't bother god that we've got these little nuances I, you know i don't know uh this is maybe even, i don't know maybe he even thinks it's cute oh they, they look look at that it, it doesn't it doesn't bother him that we've got these little nuances in the way that we look at things but it goes a lot deeper than that with us unity also he was praying for it because it would bring incredible benefits to mankind and some may be thinking, and I just want to address this real quickly, because over in Genesis chapter 11, it talks about the Tower of Babel. And, and some may think, well, you know, we had a chance to be unified there. And God decided, no, let's not, let's not do it. Uh, but it's a different, it's different, different kind of unity. It's based on something else. They said, let's build us a city, and let's build us a tower uh, that reaches up to heaven so that we won't, so that we'll be remembered forever and we'll be able to, to come together and consolidate all our power. And God came down and looked at that and said, mm, now that they're doing, now that they're moving in this kind of unity, anything they try and do will be possible. We need to, we need to sp spread these guys out. And you may go, well, wh why not let them do what, you know, and walk in unity like that? It was based on the wrong thing. It's based on the wrong thing. Think about this. Has there ever been a, an earthly government that totally consolidated power that did not become abusive? Never has been. And God, in looking at that situation, he was protecting us from us. Because the unit, unity was based on, on, on the wrong thing. You know, um, at the end of time, there's this guy named the Antichrist, or that's not his name, but it's what he gets called, who uh, who will rise up, and I don't know that he'll necessarily have a one-world government, but he'll he'll come close and he'll be trying to do it. But think about this: if there was one government that was ruling the whole earth, unless it's ruled by Jesus Christ, if there was one government that was ruling the whole earth. Once it becomes abusive, where are those being abused going to run to? Where do the refugees go? 
There are no borders to cross at that point in time. So, you know, in, in, in terms of there being a, in, in a carnal fashion, in a, in, a, in, a, in a mankind fashion, it's good for us to have boundaries. But unity of the faith is a whole different story. Unity of the faith brings freedom. Unity of the faith brings hope. He said, may they be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. When, when the world sees the church in unity, then the world understands God loves them. You don't have to say, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. They know it. Because Jesus said they would if we walked in unity. And I've discovered that one of the things that was sort of a misnomer, not misnomer, that's the wrong way to say it, but one of the, one of the concepts that I grew up with that was wrong was I grew up with the concept that most people who didn't know the Lord, most people who weren't in church, most people who didn't know Jesus, needed to be convinced that they were sinners so that they would turn to Jesus. And I've discovered now that I've gotten a little bit older, which isn't a bad thing, I've discovered now that I've gotten a little bit older, everybody knows they're sinners. In fact, the only people who claim to not be already go to church. But the people who are out there in the world, every single, you don't have, every one of them knows, I'm not worthy. Every one of them knows, if I had to stand on my merits before God, uh, there's no way I'd make it. So that's not what they need to know. What they need to know is, God loves them anyway. And that's why so many don't come, because they just go, no, no, it's not, it's not for me. But Jesus says that unity would bring that. Our unity is a unity of the Spirit. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The one who brings us to complete unity is the Spirit. Unity is more important than we think. We live in one of the most dysfunctional and polarized societies on earth. Y'all are going to love me by the time I get through with this sermon. We absolutely do. We got red states. We got blue states. We got nothing else in between. Actually, we do. We got four purple states, and they decide every national election. But everybody else, you might as well just give it up because, you know, we're, we're, we're here, and you're there, and yes, sir, buddy. Yeah. And there, there are just things that, that separate us and divide us. And it wasn't always this way. It, ha it happened in my lifetime. Now, I don't think I was responsible for it. <laughs> But it, it, it happened in my lifetime. If you're my age, it happened in your lifetime. You may be responsible for it. But it really started happening about 20 or 30 years ago. Prior to that, it wasn't this, that way in this country. And, and about, those of you who are old enough know that about then, it began to, this polarization began to rise up, and it seeps into, it is the spirit of the age. Those of you who've been born in the last 20 or 30 years, it's the air that you breathe. It, you think it's natural. You think that's the way that it's, that, that it's supposed to be. But it's not. Unity is more important than we think. I want to look very quickly at three situations in Scripture that, uh, where disunity occurred. One of them was Korah's rebellion. How many of you know anything about this? Who Korah was? I'm asking for a show of hands here. Okay. Yeah, about the same percentage as in, as in the other service. Uh, 
This happened during the time of Moses. Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, they had gone to Mount Sinai. The law had been given. The priesthood had been initiated. They had gotten to the borders of Canaan. They took a vote, decided not to go in, turned around. God sent them out into the wilderness for 40 years. And then at some point after they had left the borders of Canaan, this guy named Korah comes to Moses. And do you know what the rebellion was about? Because what Korah was saying would appeal very, very much to our democratic individualistic sensibilities. Korah came to Moses and he said this, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you sit yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Sounds, yeah, sign me up. And he had a couple of cohorts, uh, guys named Dathan and Abraham. Actually, there were, there were over 200 guys who came with him, 200 leaders from the community who came to Moses to basically go, we think Korah's right. Who elected you? And, uh, and Moses said, okay, let's, let's get all you guys together here. We'll come before the Lord and see who the Lord cho- chooses. And, and Dathan and Abraham, they were, they were spin doctors of the first degree and I mean, they could, write, they could write for talk radio. They were, they, uh, this is what they said. We will not come. Isn't it enough that you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us here in the desert? You know what? They're, they're talking about Egypt. <laughs> land of slavery has now become the land flowing with milk and honey. And now you also want to lord it over us. Moreover... You haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Never mind that we wouldn't go in when you tried to take us in. You didn't take us in. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. You know, these, these guys could belong in the 21st century USA. You know what happened to them? Yeah. Some of you do. Uh, most of the 200 fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. But Korah and, and Dathan and, and Abraham, the, the, the leaders of, these, of this rebellion, were the guys that Moses said, step away from their tents. <laughs> if these guys die a natural death, then I am not from the Lord. And the earth opened up and swallowed them. The, the, the scripture says they went down to the grave alive. God thought it was a pretty serious matter. Probably more of you are familiar with this guy, Absalom. I mean, yeah. Absalom was the son of David, and he, and he, uh, and I talked about him last week. So, you know, he had good reason to be crossways with David about some stuff. But uh, the way his rebellion got started was he ran a, such a brilliant, positive campaign. It's exactly what happened says over in 2 Samuel 15, he would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? What's your district? And he would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative before the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land. 
then whoever had a complaint or a case could come to me and I would see that they get justice. You know, it's, an awful, it's a lot easier to dispense justice when it's in your job. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand and had a photo op. He'd take hold of him and, and kiss him. And if he brought a baby, he'd kiss him too. Absalom behaved in this way toward all of the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. But the Lord wasn't very pleased. The Lord was okay with the way justice was being dispensed. And Absalom, you know, not only ended up dying, he ended up being a byword. His name is a, is a name for usurper. His name is is a synonym for rebellion and the right a better man ended up on the throne the, the man who ended up on the throne was the one who mourned for this one when he died the one who shed tears for him when he got his comeuppance one more maybe maybe some of you've heard of this one Judas Iscariot anybody okay we're not voting for him I'm just asking if you've heard of him <laughs> Judas betrayed Jesus, but in this climate in which we live, he has his apologist. Well, you know, Judas was just, he was trying, he really believed in Jesus, and he knew Jesus was able to do all this stuff, and, and he wanted to see him go forward, so he was, he was just forcing his hand so that he would have to rise up and, and become a rightful king. That was why Judas did it. Anybody heard that one? Yeah. Yes, no, some of you hadn't, but some of you had, and the fact that anybody has is ridiculous enough, you know. Or poor Judas, you know, he gave up everything to follow Jesus, and now Jesus wasn't really fulfilling all the plans that he thought he should fulfill, and he was just so disillusioned and so disappointed that, you know, that he, that he finally just gave up and betrayed him. No. Or even that... Hey, imagine this. We've actually got conspiracy theorists in this, in this country. You know, Judas was in cahoots with Jesus. And so he was the guy who was the setup guy to, to get this, this crucifixion thing going. And then, and then they did a switcheroo on the cross. And well, I, I, G, Judas was his, you know, was, he was his bud. It's not what the Bible says. Bible says Judas was a thief and he loved money and he got offered some money to betray Jesus Jesus said he was a devil and in fact Jesus said it would have been better for him if he had never been born God doesn't look favorably upon unity and upon disunity and those who sow disunity and yet it's one of the things that we kind of look at and go We, the spirit of disunity is so prevalent in our culture, don't think it doesn't work its way into our individual lives. Because once you invite it into the house, once you invite it into the home, you know, it's no longer going to just be about politics or religion or, you know, one of those things. It's going to be about where you live. 
and it messes things up. And so hopefully, I mean, you know, hopefully we, we see how insidious and dangerous disunity is and, and how important unity is and how can unity be achieved? Well, the one way it cannot be achieved is to focus on issues. I got one amen out of that. <laughs> The one way it cannot be achieved is to focus on issues. Because issues are temporary. Today's big issue will be tomorrow's what? Some, somebody was up, somebody was talking about that. You know, what issue? Has there ever been an issue? Uh, a social issue that has been important for the church for even a century, much less, may, maybe slavery, maybe slavery, that, that, that might be one. But for the most part, issues come, issues go. That, that's, not, that's not where you can base your unity. And furthermore, we need to understand that unity is not the same thing as unanimity. We, we've shifted our focus, the focus of our unity from Christ to, boy, you're going to love this, to hot-button social and political issues. And by doing so, we've played right into the enemy's hands. You know, I go there because they tell it like it is, which being interpreted means I go there because they agree with me. I go there because they stoke my fire. And I don't go over there. They obviously aren't Christians because they don't see it the way I see it. Who cares? The Lordship of Jesus Christ is what matters. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is what endures. That's where our, that's where our fellowship is, is centered around. That, that's where our unity is. Look, there are, I got brothers and sisters in the church that I, uh, not this church, this, well, mate, yeah, this church too, who, if you, if you came down to issues, there's very little I agree with them about. But boy, I love them. Boy, I'd lock, lock arms with them just any, any minute. I've been, I've been on so many sides of the issues that, <laughs> I mean, I went through, you know, I voted for George McGovern and Richard Nixon. And, and, you know, and some of you aren't old enough to know what that means, but I mean, that's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. I mean, I am so, <laughs> but you know what? I loved Jesus through the whole thing. And I was a believer through the whole thing. Strong in, strong in him through the, whole, through the whole thing. And I've got four minutes to finish here unity is only achieved through focus on jesus christ by the power of the holy spirit working in us unity cannot be built on facts because facts are temporary unity has to be built on truth because truth is eternal and even if the issue seems good it can't be where our unity is built I've, I've, I've mentioned this. I've mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll quickly again. Back in the day, the Lord's Chapel. Uh, some of us used to go there. Uh, we would. We started having these monthly services 
I don't even remember what night of the week it was, but it'd be one of the nights of the week. And people would come from churches all over Middle Tennessee, and boy, would we have a time. Uh, one of the churches would be in charge of leading worship, and one of the churches would be in charge of bringing the word, and one of the churches would be in charge of providing ushers or whatever. I mean, it, looking after the nursery. I, you know, we, we took turns, and for about three or four months, it was like, welcome to heaven. Yeah, and this is, this is a foretaste. Ah, it, was, it was wonderful. And then the month came where, we, where whoever it was that was preaching, don't remember the guy's name now, it's probably a good thing. God loves him, I love him, I lock arms with him. But he, uh, he decided that what we needed to do since we had so many Christians here together is we need to make us some signs and we need to go down to lower broad and clean that place up, that den of iniquity down there. And so we did. We got us some radio spots, and, and we made some signs, and some people got interviewed on television, and we marched on Lower Broad. And you know what happened? The services ended, and Lower Broad didn't change either. The only thing that changed was people quit coming to the services after, after we did the march. Up until then, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? Once the march was over, why come anymore? Because it was now about the march. As long as it was about Jesus, you always got a reason to come. As long as, as long as he's the focus, as long as he's the one that you're looking at, there's never a reason to go, well, that's over. We did that now. That's finished. Only as we recognize this truth can we demonstrate to the world that there is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. And if we begin to move in that way, then when we go to the world, when we go to the lost, we don't have to argue with them. We don't have to convince them. They already know Jesus came from God. They already know God loves them. All we got to do is say, who wants to get saved? And they come. Amazing, isn't it? Would you stand with me? But those who are going to, uh, our elders and, and their wives and staff come and pray for people. Who wants to get saved today? You go, well, that, that was an evangelistic sermon. It sure was. If you, you know, if, you, if, if we got any real bona fide, never given my life to Jesus Christ sinners in here today, they got touched. I promise you they did. But the altar is open for anybody. Whatever, whatever need you have, there may be a place in your heart that God needs to take care of. A place in your heart of rebellion, disunity. And things are kind of falling apart here and there. And maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and went, you see why it's falling apart now? Might need prayer for that. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of people rush down now and go, it's me, brother. I'm the one. No. Whatever you need prayer for. 
healing, provision, reconciliation, restoration, wisdom. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. If you don't need to come, let's worship for a few more moments. We'll wait on those who do. something when I said that unity and unanimity are not the same thing you don't have to agree with with everybody and about everything good grief no I mean there are things being taught in churches that I totally don't agree with but that doesn't mean that you can turn your back on that person and go okay I have nothing to do with him anymore Back in the 1860s, when Abraham Lincoln was elected president and this country almost split apart, he went, no, that's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for keeping this together. Now, I'm not talking about taking a gun into somebody's church and going, you better not believe that anymore. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Their prayer, their uh, worship, their... Um, long-suffering they're being willing to deal with one another in unity and in grace raise your hand let me give you a blessing and the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came into the world and prayed that we might be made one just as he and the Father are one may that prayer begin to find fulfillment in your life 
May the Holy Spirit bring it to the fore of your remembrance. And may the result be that the world sees the beauty and the love and the grace of God through the one who came full of grace and truth, Jesus Christ our Lord.